0: Welcome to the InCommon podcast. This is Stefan Partilow. Today's Insight episode is from episode 37 with Jessica Coburn. Jessica is a lecturer in environmental science at Rhodes University in South Africa. Jessica identifies as a pracademic who often works with local partners to explore how actors across a variety of contexts interact to address sustainability challenges. Her work is highly collaborative. Among the groups she engages with is the program on ecosystem change in society. In this Insight clip, Jessica explains why she draws on a critical realism approach and how that is positioned between positivist and constructivist paradigms. This is the In Common Podcast.
1: So I saw this term uh, critical realist philosophy that you, <laughs> you study this critical realist philosophy and it, it you know, I got all my old. 20 year old neurons from undergrad going, but I couldn't quite make sense of it. So I, I'm, if it's something interesting to talk about, it seemed like it was an important term to you in the, in the liter- the material about you that I was looking at. Could you, could you unpack that a bit for us? Like tell us what role that idea plays for you in your work?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so when I started my PhD and I framed it within the broad social ecological systems field, um, and had made this commitment to to using social science research methods, I realized quite quickly how important it was for me to clearly understand what philosophy of science or paradigm was underpinning my work. And so I read around the different paradigms, and I realized for the first time that I had been a positivist until then. (laughs) And, (laughs) like... Oh, Julia, what an evil person I've been until now. How much have I changed this? Because let's be honest, how much do we marginalize positivists? Uh, those of us who found our way out of positivism, it's quite nasty, I think. Oh, it's a hobby. <laughs> yeah, talk, talk about
1: othering. It's like, yeah. Yeah, goodness.
2: exactly. So I actually, I'm teaching some students on Wednesday about research paradigms, and I'm having to really prepare myself mentally to not other and ostracize the those people were those in people. Positivist <laughs> yeah. So having acknowledged that I had been a positivist and that I was probably going to have to get out of that, um, because of the kinds of questions I was asking and the kinds of theories I was drawing on. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I was trying to explore the different social science paradigms that are out there. And, um, to me, they all have their place, but I needed to find something that worked for me in terms of how I see the world and how I see myself in the world as a researcher. And um, for that, uh, p- positivism didn't fit very well because I feel, I feel that it's important for us to be able to interpret things together with people and make sense of data in a more nuanced and kind of uh, fairly relativist way, if you like.
1: Jess, can I ask yeah. you, it occurs to me actually that I think some listeners would appreciate hearing just what, like a what you think positivism is for you, like when.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, so I've actually been looking up some materials to try and teach this. I feel like you've caught me a little bit off guard, but I think if I were to try and put it in a nutshell, positivists see the world as um, something that we can measure and understand fully with our science, and the tools and methods used by positivists. Um, assume that one can generate a complete truth about something, um, whereas,
1: objectively,
2: yeah, in an objective way, and that um, yeah we can we can get to a point where we've measured things enough and, and observed them enough to be able to say with confidence what reality is about. Got it. Whereas constructivist is kind of a far extreme. Much of a lot of um, social science researchers in the kind of post modern. Um, space are constructivists or similar relativists who say that there's no ultimate truth, everything is relative, everything is based on our interpretations, everything is a social construct and is is based on how we've constructed it in our own minds, and so there's no way we can ever come to some sort of ultimate truth, and in many cases that's led to a lot of kind of um, apathy and inability to act because we don't have enough knowledge or information
1: okay that's okay yes that's very yeah. int- okay yep yep mm-hmm. yeah
2: <laughs> well so been, those are yep. kind of the two extremes carry on, sorry carry on
1: <laughs> well no but I mean this is like I remember I don't want to derail this because this is fantastic but I like, mean <laughs> you know this this challenge of I remember you know being in a philosophy class in undergrad and my professor like proved to me in quotes that like induction is impossible we can't learn from experience and I was just like well should I get up tomorrow like you know like is the sun going to come up? You know, it's like these, the, the ways in which our clever <laughs> yeah. brains just can convince us yeah. that we're just, I should just stay in bed all day. Like, it's like, goodness yeah. gracious. I should probably not follow that then. Like, I'm, I think I should get up. Like any, any yeah. philosophy or conclusion that says I shouldn't get out of bed at some point, yeah. like something went wrong.
2: Yeah. And also that you as a scientist actually don't have anything to contribute because right. there's no way we'll ever get to enough of a truth to be able to act. So this is obviously I'm caricaturing it and I'm sure it, I know many of my colleagues are well-meaning and successful constructivist researchers. So I am giving an extreme version of it. But this was part of me trying to understand this space for myself. Your process, yep. My own process. And I didn't want to go that way. And so the two for me that kind of sit more in the middle are pragmatism and realism. And pragmatism um is very much about sort of problem focused research, solving problems and um, being able to do research for the sake of action, rather than research for the sake of research. Um, Again, I'm oversimplifying it, but that was roughly how I interpreted the bits that I read about pragmatism, which made quite a lot of sense to me, but there was a point at which for me, pragmatism didn't go deeply enough into the roots of, of knowledge and how we generate knowledge and how we understand our position in the world. Which, as someone who had come from from a biological science into a social science space i felt that i needed something richer and deeper to understand my own position in the research
0: which realism
2: then offered me and critical realism as a particular form of realism and i think it was also somewhat serendipitous in that i have colleagues at a research center just down the drag here at rhodes university the environmental learning research center who work a lot with critical realism and I met one of the PhD students from there and I read bits of her PhD and I was really inspired by how she used this this research philosophy um, to frame her research but also drew on a lot of the theoretical um, tools in critical realism to to do the kind of analysis in her research so that and then I was able to attend a research school there on critical realism and engage with some of some really good scholars working in the environmental education field using critical realism. And I found it really appealing. Just helped me, help me to find myself in the research, helped me to frame my research in a thorough way from a philosophical perspective. And one of the things I appreciate the most about a critical realist perspective is that it is a gen, it's a generous philosophy. So it, it understands the world as real. So it means that um, as opposed to constructivism, where everything is kind of in our heads. Um, everything is real and has its own kind of identity. Um, but then in, where it's different to positivism is that it says our knowledge of that world is limited and we will never be able to understand reality fully. So it means that we as researchers have quite a humble position in terms of our role, but we can get to a point of understanding it enough to act And critical realism also calls itself an emancipatory science in that it seeks to bring about change through science. So yeah, I can ramble on about it for a long time, but for me it just it felt a good fit for what I was trying to do. And I think the third sort of thing that I want to just say about critical realism, which is useful, is that it also has a systems ontology. So those of us who've worked a lot with systems thinking and social ecological systems, complex adaptive systems as a kind of worldview as a framing for our work, um, critical realism sits very nicely alongside a systems ontology or a systems way of understanding the world. So that also really appealed to me because I was drawing on a lot of that kind of literature. And I could kind of I felt that critical realism um, was a good companion in terms of the philosophy and the theoretical depth that it brought into my research.
1: I mean, that's extraordinarily well said. I love the idea of a generous philosophy like that it's an adjective we don't usually smack onto that noun but it's 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 very um (laughs)
2: yeah i just i just like to say one more thing sorry because there is also and i've had this conversation with some of my colleagues as we've been trying to write a paper drawing on critical realism to underpin kind of uh, multi-case study comparison and there is also a very strong kind of evangelist streak amongst critical realists without which i want to acknowledge and I'll try to distance myself from it, but I probably won't succeed because I'm sounding very um, enthusiastic about it. But there is a lot of, um, I think, the philosophers of science the ones who aren't necessarily applying those philosophies I think get very excited and hit up and um, enthusiastic about their philosophies and get into big fights I mean the paradigm wars we all know about them they were pretty and are pretty bitter and I don't really want to go there but the point I'm making is that I have found very useful ways to apply this particular philosophy of science in social ecological research and that's that's the advantage for me, and that's why I speak very enthusiastically about it, because I think it can be really useful, especially for those of us doing social science research in this space. I think that the systems ontologies and the systems philosophies that we draw on have come very much from a strong kind of technical positivist perspective in many ways, and we lack some of the theoretical depth um, that, that's needed for the social science that we're doing. So that was another reason for me, yeah. Sorry, I needed to just put that little piece out there yes, because I know there's a little bit of tension sometimes about critical realists kind of bashing people over the heads with their philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
1: it strikes me that, um, so I'm part of an interdisciplinary environmental uh, PhD program here, and I would love it if all of our students went through a process like the one you just described. I mean, I think it should be a part mm-hmm. of standard PhD education is that you take a, some kind of what you could call it a philosophy of of doing mm. science class where you kind of have mm. to position yourself. You have to decide yeah. as a part of as a part of your toolkit, but ultimately a part of like you're deciding what your identity as a scientist is. Mm. It, I think it's necessary and we all kind of do it implicitly and less well
2: mm. uh, without. Yeah, that. yeah. Mm. No, I agree. And I think it's so important for us to be able to have conversations across disciplines, for us to have had this self-reflection process. Um, Because I think we misunderstand each other a lot without even realizing it.
1: Absolutely.
2: I was at a workshop with some economists last year, and they were talking about data, and I was talking about data, and they were talking about frameworks, and I was talking about frameworks, and I suddenly realized that we are talking about data and frameworks in very different ways. (laughs) And if we don't appreciate the different underlying philosophies that we hold, it's very difficult to kind of have those conversations about about the differences between our disciplines.
0: Thanks for tuning in. If you are new to the podcast, feel free to explore our previous episodes on our website, www.incommonpodcast.org. They can also be found on just about any other podcast player. If you're on Twitter, you can connect with us there, where we share updates, new episodes and blog posts associated with the podcast. We will also be running more polls on Twitter to inform our blog and podcast discussions. Thanks again.